Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Again, as a whole, we have titled the the series Embracing Afflictions because throughout Paul's epistle, he is encouraging the brethren regarding the afflictions that they have and shall be um, go, go through, uh, using his own illustrations of his own life as well. And over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of looked at that. We saw Paul stated in the beginning that, um, that the purpose of afflictions for us is that as we experience afflictions, we receive the comfort, consolation, encouragement of God for a reason, for a purpose. And that is that as we see others in the world going through afflictions and troubles and tribulation, that we then can turn around and be that comfort, consolation, and encouragement, the hands, if you would, of God in the life of other individuals. That we can, if you then would take that, extrapolate that just a little bit further, that the afflictions, the tribulations, the troubles that we go through really can be a foundation, a basis of our giving a testimony about the grace of God to other individuals. That as we go through afflictions and troubles and tribulations, that we will be able to be, as we're going to see at the end today, ambassadors for Christ. Being able to share with them who God is, what He can do in their lives. And how he can change you. So, Gerald, I'm thinking about you riding with your buddy, right? And undoubtedly, again, you've known him for how many years? Probably about 33, 34. 33, 34 years. You think he's seen a change in you recently in the last 10, 15 years? Oh, yeah. You get, people want to know why. They're going to start asking questions. First, they think you're just a what? A crackpot. You're a lunatic. You've given in to some, some cultic kind of thing, you know. But that you'll what? You'll wake up and snap out of it, right? I mean, I know it from marshes in my own experience when we got saved, you know. Uh, people just thought it was a phase, you know. They'll move on. That something else will happen. And sadly, you see what? A lot of people that, that fit that bill, right? But then all of a sudden, it continues to what? To kind of stick, throughout different afflictions and tribulations in your life, the things that go on, the things that happen, all of a sudden they see you start to go through it, and now you go through it a little bit differently than you did before. And then you start to go through them massively differently than you did before. And they're just like, well, what's, what's with them? So as Paul has, has gone through this, then the last couple of weeks, what we have looked at really is all laying this foundation. That's why I shared last week that we were sharing a foundation for the message last week. And so the last two weeks now are this foundation for what we're getting into today. So many times we, again, we forget the context of passages and when we start to look at them. So today we're going to look at being a, a new creation and, and having the, the, the ministry of reconciliation given to us, being ambassadors for Christ. But we forget there's a context, there's a greater context in all this 
okay, of why he's sharing this. And so two weeks ago, we considered the, the contrast, the, the comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, how the Old Covenant was, was physical of the flesh, but the New Covenant that is spiritual of the Spirit. And I don't have, again, time to go through it, but as kind of a laying the foundation for us, we saw that the Old Covenant was temporal. The New Covenant is eternal. It's forever, okay? And so then last week, using that, that basis, we brought that in discussing then, in the face of afflictions, we do not lose heart. That was Paul's statement there in, in chapter 4 and then into chapter 5. Um, that in the face of these afflictions that we're going through, we do not lose heart. Okay, So he, he built upon the foundation of he's now in this new covenant, and we see that he's talking about then this message, if you would, the proclamation of the gospel. It was the message, if you would, of the new covenant. That's what the gospel is. The gospel message is really the message of the new covenant. We have good news. Those who want to place you back under the law really have what? Bad news. They want you to try to observe the law, but can anybody fully observe the law and be saved? No. Through the law, we saw that there's condemnation and there's death. Okay? So the good news then, as we saw it, was the work of Christ in the identity of Christ. Who Christ is. And this is going to play into our passage today as well. Okay? That Christ died for us. He was buried, he was rose again, and he was seen. I like to throw that he was seen in there because it was... He was seen by a whole lot of people. This wasn't just um, Joseph Smith's writing. And I wanted to share that last week, you know, when we got into the thing. If, even if I or an, an angel from heaven would, would preach some other gospel, let them be what? Accursed. Accursed. So I don't care if the, the angel from heaven's name is Moroni. I mean, Moroni. So the, the reality is, that was a little, not, that was an intentional slip. Did you get it? Anyways. So, but anyways, Moroni, he comes and, and, whether or not there was a real angel that spoke to Joseph Smith or not, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, people want to debate that. I don't care whether he came or not. If he gave a different gospel, that very clearly says in the Word of God, let him be what? Accursed. Did he give a different gospel? He did. Okay? In fact, the, the, the trans, if you go to, um, I'm going to mess this up, but in Second uh, Nelphi, um, Book of Mormon, it, I usually have the verse ready. Um, and it's blanking right now. Anyways, it is a twisting of 2 Corinthians, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace that we're saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, in the Book of Mormon says, By grace are you saved through faith after all the works that you've done. That's, a, to me, a pretty direct uh, attack, don't you think? Okay. So, so anyway, it's a different gospel. Do you get it? And so the gospel message is very clear. The work, it's all about the work of Christ, but intricately interwoven into it. Again, as we talked about last week, and I don't have time to get into it, but I'd love to talk about this all the time because this is the most exciting thing to me and the most mysterious and wonderful thing to me, marvelous thing to me, and that is who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. I can't comprehend that. We're told he is the icon, the image of the invisible God, that we talked about the fact that the fullness of the Godhead was stuffed into Jesus. This morning I was reading, in my quiet time, I was in Isaiah um, 49, in, in Yahweh. <laughs> Yahweh is, is talking about Messiah when Messiah came, would come, and now he's talking as Messiah, and in, 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 in talking about his being um, 
from the time in his mother's womb, and then the New King James talks about the matrix, the place of development within this is the innards of, of the mother is really what it is. And I just started thinking just even more about, did you wonder? I mean, because when, when, did, when, when, when did Jesus, quote-unquote, if you would, become God? He was. You get it? He always was. So when, so when the seed, when the zygote is in Mary... When the, the, the Holy Spirit overshadows and she becomes impregnated. Was it God? Do you get that? I mean, how does, how does, you know, I mean, you know, we go through this whole thing of a baby going split, split, split. Boop. Oh, it's an eye. Boop, boop. The heart's developing. Oh, oh, it's a brain. Oh, oh. Ten fingers or five fingers on each one. I read your post. It was kind of cool, right? And so Jesus probably had, what, five fingers on, on each one? He had five toes, right? And so in all this, you're kind of playing it out. If you had the whole sonogram thing going on and you're watching the development of Jesus, and yet that's just his tent. But inside that thing growing is the fullness of God. I just boggles my brain. <laughs> what a marvelous God we serve. And yet he is outside the universe. He's greater than the universe. He spoke it all into being. I love the song, Mary, Did You Know? <laughs> I mean, could you comprehend being Mary and having a, the concept that you're holding the God of the universe in your hands? It just boggles my brain. That's who Jesus is. And that's all intricately interwoven to this good news that we have. If Jesus wasn't God, his sacrifice wasn't perfect. If his sacrifice wasn't perfect, it didn't pay for your sins. If it didn't pay for your sins, Jonathan Bishop's poem about hell is all for us. Because that's what we got. That's all there is. If Jesus isn't God. You're not getting saved through Muhammad. You're not getting saved through Joseph Smith. You're not getting saved by your own works. It's only because of what he's done for you. And that's the foundation where we're getting into this reconciliation with God thing about. It's not anything that I've done to be reconciled to God. It's everything that he did. He did it for me. How awesomely cool is that? We saw then in the presentation of our lives, in our ministries, in the presentation of our lives, that it's all about the manifestation of the power of God. That we are just earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. We're just frail and everything. And we have all these struggles that we go through. But through all those things, the power of God is manifested in us and through us so that the world may know. That the world may know that there is a God who transcends everything that's in this world. We saw as well then in life, as we face the afflictions, we do not lose heart in life. The contrast again between the physical and the spiritual, between the temporal and the eternal, in looking at the promise of our Savior and the guarantee of the Spirit. And that is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter into the new covenant, okay? By extension, you were, whether you knew it or not, under the old covenant, in a sense, because you were under law. But when you accept Christ as your Savior, you become part of the new covenant. And the exciting thing is when, when you know, when you get this, this agreement, this document, right? This business thing. And so, you know, we, the, it was all on, on um, parchment and scrolls, right? And so we would have this, this thing together. And so we would, uh, we would take our agreement and we would roll it up, right? And then in the end, 
we would take the wax, right? And we would melt some wax and we would drip it on the document. And then you would take your signet ring. Well, actually the one who was in charge, right? Would take their signet ring and they would stamp it on the wax. It was sealed. Only the one who, who had that signet could open that seal. It's kind of cool when you think about Jesus opening the seals, right? In, the, in, in Revelation, it's because he's the one who has the authority to open that up, right? Because he's the creator God. But God sealed us with what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How cool is that? You can't open that document up. You don't have the authority. People say, oh, you lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. If you can lose your salvation, it says more about God than it says about you. Because God made a promise. And God sealed it with a guarantee. And he says it multiple times in his word with the Holy Spirit. If God won't keep his word, then forget it. We might as well go to the beach. Because we're wasting our time here. But God has made us a promise. And he has sealed it with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit resides in you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so, every place you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. How cool is that? So, so this is the foundation then of when we come into this, this context of, of our passage today. And we have this ministry of reconciliation, which you know, okay, this is a, a favorite passage of a lot of people. And so we know where we're going with this, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. But the motivation, where we're going to start here with um, in talking about the motivation of our ministry, is given to us right in the beginning. And I should have had Chuck start reading in verse 6, um, because it, verse 9, where we're really starting this passage, where we broke it, really starts off, verse 9 starts with a what? Therefore, what's therefore, therefore? Because it's going to tell us what, this is a result of what just stated, right? So, beginning of verse 6, we read, so we are always what? How cool is that? How often are you confident? Always. Regardless of what goes on in your life, you can what? Always be confident. So, we are always confident, knowing that we are, while we are at home in the body... We are absent from the Lord. For we walk by what? Faith, Faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So I read read a post this week, right? Someone who stated that just being in the world doesn't seem like it's exciting anymore. They'd rather be... With the Lord sometimes, right? And the world takes it as suicidal, and I appreciate the fact that the individual said it wasn't, that, that it wasn't suicidal thoughts, right? And that's where I said that as a truck driver, I used to state that people say, you know, how are things going? And things are great. great. If it was any better, I could be, I'd be dead. You know, and they go, oh, it's not that bad. No, it's no. You didn't listen. It's that good. If things are great. If it was any better, I'd be dead. And then I'd have to explain because they didn't know the Lord. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. The eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of mind of men what God has prepared. I mean, if you can think it, it's still falling short. I mean, I, 
I can't, I don't look forward to the process. I look forward to the other side. I mean, it's going to be glorious. I haven't got a thought. You know, people, again, say it. I've heard Petrus talk about, you know, as well, people saying about how boring it'll be because all you're doing is, you know, worshiping God around his throne. Really? It's because you don't know him. It's, you don't know him. If you think that's going to be boring, you don't know him. You, I mean, the, the older I get, the more I know him, the more excited I am about finding more out about him. Because I can't get it here. I mean, that was even my quiet time this morning, this whole thing about, I want to comprehend the Trinity. I want to comprehend the Trinity. I don't get it. I want to comprehend it. I know it's true. But I want to comprehend Just some little glimpse of it. Lord, just give me kind of a... Comp- my brain spins and spins and spins and spins on this stuff. And every time I think, oh, maybe I got just a little bit more of an understanding of this, God throws me another wrench. You know? <sighs> Why? Because it's a mystery. And that's the way he's left it. Does it make sense? My mortal, finite brain can't comprehend it. And that's really okay with me. It's not. It is. It's not. It is. I'm bipolar when it comes to this thing. I am so looking forward to the other side. I can be in his presence. And even there, I'm still going to be what? Marveled by the whole thing. How cool is that? So having this, this concept that I am a, I'm a spirit being, I'm an eternal being, I'm going to live forever. Now, get, this is a thing to talk about with other people who aren't believers. Because the reality is, it's not just us who are eternal beings. We're not Jehovah Witnesses. Make sense? Jehovah Witnesses believe you. You don't know, if, if you're not, quote-unquote, saved according to their standards, right? Then it's just annihilation and you just go away. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that every single individual is eternal. They are going to live Forever and ever and ever. The question is, where? That's exactly right. In the presence of God or absent from the presence of God? I thought it was a great poem. It's exactly right. You got what you wanted. You wanted to be God leave you alone. He is. They don't understand how much blessings that they receive right now just because of the grace of God that is poured out upon this world. How sad it will be that day and where there's weeping in what? Gnashing of teeth. Weeping is that they're crying because they realize gnashing of teeth, they're still mad at God. They're going to be mad at God the entire time. But we who are saved, we who know Him, or at least proclaim to know Him, ought to be setting our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. we got to realize, man, man, this world is nothing compared to what God has for us. And if you think that the things of this world are awesome, look around a little bit more. That's why Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather lay them up in heaven. It's exciting stuff. Anyways, so using this as my motivation, right, I begin to look at that. Now, because I realize, as we come into this now, verse, verse 9, that we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? <laughs> the reality of our judgment. Knowing factually the fear of God. We don't want to talk about this as believers. We go from the, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord, to the love of Christ, right? And so it's all about the love of Christ. Really? Let's read what Paul says. Paul's the preacher of grace. He says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, that is to God. Why? For we must, the, the word in the Greek is day, meaning obliged. It is an obligation. We must all appear before the bema of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, in order that, Hina, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
knowing, the word edo is the, the factual word for knowledge, not gnosko, which is the intimate word for knowledge, factually knowing. This is a factual thing. This isn't just like, I feel this thing. This is like, I know this. This is, this is a fact, a proven fact. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. The word is phobon. It literally means fear. And so you have on your sermon note sheet all those words, all those verses from the Septuagint. Were, um, so what I did was I went and looked up the fear of the Lord, and then I changed that into the Septuagint to find out what the Septuagint then translated those as. And so that is the phrase for the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, fear of Yahweh. Okay? And so the reality is that this is that same fear of the Lord that you talk about from the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of? Wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? And so you have that at the bottom of your sermon note sheet, one of the, the little verses that are, that are not sermon note sheets, but and bulletin, the, the bottom of the bulletin, you have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, I think is what I put there. Anyways, the, the reality is that it is the same fear of the Lord. I mean, I remember teaching on this concept years ago in a previous church I was at, and I had this um, person come up to me and, and just totally decry everything I just taught. On it because they don't want to believe in the fear of God. The fear of God exists. Listen, y'all, he's talking to believers here. We must who? All. Are you included in the all? When you die, what's going to happen? What's the first thing that's going to happen after you die? You're going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, as long as I get there, brother, it doesn't matter. As long as I get my foot in the door, I don't care if I'm way back in peanut heaven. Peanut, you know, how atrocious is that? Paul says, look, I know when I get there, I'm going to give an account for everything I've done. If you really are setting your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth, that ought to scare you. You'll give an account for every word that you spoke. You'll give an account for your attitude in the words that you spoke. Because he knows your heart. Do you get it? I mean, this is not a hellfire and brimstone message. Because the reality is, if I'm saved, I don't have to worry about what? Hell. I'm not worrying about being eternally separated from God. But we talk about that part and neglect the, fir- the, the first step. And that is, the reality is, I'm going to give an account. Well, I just may not have as many rewards. That's okay. Really? That's the attitude of devotion to the one who saved you by his grace? Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we what? We persuade men. Why? Because if I get it, if I am a believer and I get the fact that even as a believer, I'm going to go before the judgment, the reality of judgment, then what does that speak for those who don't know him? Do you get it? I mean, do you believe there's a hell or not? Do you believe your neighbor's going to hell? Do you care? Maybe that's the problem. That's my prayer, is in the purity, passion, privilege, and power thing, that God work me in a passion for the things that you're impassioned of, that you are impassioned for souls, and I need that passion, because I'm so stinkingly self-focused that I'm not thinking about the individual who's dying and going to hell. 
But that's the mind of Christ. Aren't you glad that someone cared enough about you to tell you? We ought to have the mind of Christ. Secondly, it's in the manifestation of our lives. The manifestation of our lives. Because he goes on in verse 11, after he states the fact that, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known. Literally, the word there for well known is, it's in a perfect, which means that it's a past action and has a continuing result. But it's the word to be manifested. We have been manifested to God, and I also trust we have been manifested in your consciences. The manifestation of our lives. There are so many times we think that we can hide things, we can get away with things. Because, and we think we did, because what? We didn't get caught. Nobody else knew. What am I saying about God? He's not omniscient. He's not everywhere present. That he's limited and he's weak. And that I can pull one over on God. So Romans chapter 5, going into Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 5 talks about the grace of God and how the fact is that through one man sin entered the world, but through this one, then, 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 then the gift of eternal life passed on to others. And then it transitions into chapter 6 with verse 1. And what does it say? Verse 1. Should we then what? Come on, you guys know it. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, certainly not. May it never be so. So should I continue to sin that grace may abound? That's how we act sometimes, though, isn't it? I do what I want because... Saved! 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 So that means I can do whatever... No, it's not what it means. But God is going to manifest our lives. I think there's going to be a whole lot of embarrassment when I get to before the throne and God plays out the video of my life. And everybody else sees what Bob really was thinking. And what Bob was really doing. And I'm picking on Bob. You get it? You can put yourself in there. Those inner thoughts, those inner actions, those inner whatever things that you think that nobody else saw and you got away with. God makes it manifest. And he says then, but I also trust that we are, have been manifested in your consciences. That's the idea of accountability. Phyllis, thank you. Thank you. I just, that's the body of Christ. If I can't be real with you, who can I be real with? I know there's no temptations overtaken me, but what? You can struggle with it too. It's really okay. And so if I know I'm struggling and you're struggling, then it's okay for me to say, hey, look, I struggle with lust of flesh. Can you pray for me? You know, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do? I know that Romans chapter 7, it says that there's a what? There's a war that goes on within me. So what? So pray for me in my tent, in my flesh, that I honor God, right? It's really okay. We act like we don't struggle. That's part of the afflictions. That's okay. It's part of the afflictions we go through. And we are manifested in one another's conscience. That's assuming that we get to know each other. And we're intimate with one another. Knowing then, secondly, and praise the Lord for it, experientially, the love of Christ. 
I know I'm going to stand before the bema of Christ, the judgment seat. I have then the fear of God. I know I'm going to give an account for this. But how glorious it is to know that Jesus died for me. And that the love of Christ then constrains me. Do you get it? It's not the fear of God that's constraining me. It's the the love of God. It's the love of Christ that constrains me to do these things. It presses me. And what's really kind of fun, this word in 14 compels. The love of Christ compels me. It literally means press. Not the exact same word that we're using from, from affliction, flebo, but it still means to be pressed. It's like Jesus is kind of pushing me. It's pressing me like, you got to do this. This is what you're going to do. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Oh, I want to be about all about Bob. No, no, no. Do it, do it, do it. You can do it. I'm behind you. It's all about me. I'll put my words in your mouth. You can do it. Remember, all you do is sow the seeds, but I give the increase. And I'm pressed. Press, 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 press. Push, 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 push. Compelled, compelled, compelled. Did you ever feel that? I hope so. If not, start praying. I mean, you got to... The Holy Spirit ought to be beating on you to tell people about Him. It's funny when you start pushing back. It's funny when you start pushing back. You're right. You're exact. No, good, Prowse. I appreciate it. Because too many times we what? We do. Well, no, Lord, you don't understand. I, I, oh, God. No, you don't understand. You remember who you were? I shared, if you were in Sunday school, I shared something about Bob when, when we were first married and, and wanted to kick you out of the car and that kind of stuff. It was all her fault. Anyways, um, it was all, I uh, know. I mean, if you were in Sunday school, you get it. So it was me. My, it's who I was. I was unsaved. I mean, this is who I was. I mean, I don't know where I would be without Christ. And for me to have the audacity to look down on somebody else, who is exactly where I probably would be. You know, I mean, wow. Talking about the height of, of, of pride and stupidity. I am what I am because of the grace of God. Not because of the awesomeness of Bob. It's in spite of the decadence of Bob. Knowing experientially the love of Christ, first of all, because of devotion. Again, we love him because he first loved us. I know what he's done for me. And because I know what he's done for me, I can't but help want to tell other people. But secondly, because it says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. But secondly, that those who should live, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again because of duty. You remember that word, David, right? From Tuesday night. Duty. We got to see the Pirates of Penzance. It was an opera. You want me to sing it? Anyways. So, yeah. No, no. You're right. Don't. No, no. Go there. And so, it was kind of funny because I was already making my outline. And so, it was that the whole concept, there was a sense of duty that's in it. It was kind of playing out. And I already had my outline going because I was already working on some of this stuff. But the whole idea is I have this sense of obligation. And you ought to have a sense of obligation. Because of what he's done for us. I ought to be doing out of devotion. But if I'm not doing out of devotion, it ought to come back to what? Duty. It's my job. It's part of my job description. Jesus said, follow me and I will, what? Make you fishers of men. All authority has been given unto me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatsoever things I have told you. You shall be witnesses for me when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Is maybe the reason why we're failing to witness and to go out and be fishers of men is because the Holy Spirit never fell upon us? And if that's the case, that means that you're not really saved. Now, I'm not trying to preach a legalism thing. Make sense? And I'm not trying to make people feel bad. But there's a reality that's here. I don't want to get before the throne of God one day and find out that a lot of people that I've had an opportunity to minister to never knew them. They played a game. Do you get it? There was a lot of Israelites in Jesus' day. A lot of Jews. Who thought that they knew God. Especially the religious ones. They didn't go to church on Sunday. They went to synagogue on Saturday. But Jesus said they were a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. They were clean on the outside. They looked good. But on the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. That they had lifted up their own, their own um, standards and their own teachings above the Word of God. Don't play a game. God knows whether you're His or not. You can play the game in front of people all you want. We may all think that you're saved. And I'm not talking to any one of you. I'm trying not to look at anybody right now. You know, like, he's talking to me. No, I'm talking to the wall. Anyways, this is a Holy Spirit moment. You get it? Because if you're not His, if you're not His, this is a big deal. Duty. Now, what I kind of find is fun for this is twofold. I want to point out two things real quick. Note, first of all, Paul said, therefore knowing the what? The fear of God. And then he said, and also then knowing the what? The love of Christ. So you go from the fear of God, which if you would only do it out of that, you would be fulfilling your what? Duty. But you then come and you understand the love of Christ. And because of the love of Christ, you want to do it out of a sense of devotion. Do you get it? And it's almost like this, this kind of coming down. It's not really a chiasm, but it's kind of more of like a V kind of thing. You know, A, B, B, A, coming, you know, if you're thinking poetically, coming back out of this thing, right? That he's coming down and he's talking about this thing. And so he comes back and then says, look, it, if you can't even get it because of devotion, you just need to understand that there's an obligation here. I mean, if... So, whether you are left-minded, right-minded, it doesn't matter whether you're Germanic or whether you're, you're of a romantic persuasion, you know? So, if you can't get the devotion thing going on, then if you're more of a Germanic, you know, stoic kind of individual, then you ought to understand what? Duty. And I promise you, there are many Wednesdays that Steve and I go out, not out of devotion, <laughs> but out of what? Duty. I mean, it's devotion. It's devotion to Christ. It's not devotion to people. I mean, I'm not really going out because I'm the introvert, you know, and I really don't have a desire to go out knocking on doors, meeting people. I really don't. That sounds awful. Okay? People say, well, you're a pastor. I, look, I understand my role. 
The Lord has worked in me over years to understand who I'm supposed to be. Okay? Just as when I was in the Army, okay, I was a computer programmer, but I was an officer. Okay? And so as an officer, I was supposed to salute those enlisted. I never wanted to go down into the AIT area, because you know what those AIT students do? What do they do? What do they do, Rodney? They get in a line. They spread themselves out. So this poor little attendant's going to walking down like a duck, you know, you know, going on through. And so, but I understood my role. So the guy who first brought me to church, okay, kind of fun. I'm not going to give you the rest of the story on this one, but he got saved later. I thought he was saved. Anyways, he thought he was saved, and he got saved later. Just put all that in context. He took me to church, brought me to church, right? And, um... His name was Bob. His wife's name was Marsha. Fun. You've heard the story, right? So anyway, so, so, so Bob and Marsha, Bob, Bob and Bob and Bob and Bob. But he was enlisted. I was an officer. But I called him Bob. He called me Bob. We worked together. We're at a terminal. terminal. We're sitting right next to each other. We did the same thing. And so when they had a new, um, a new test to, to, for the, the electronic equipment and that kind of stuff, he might be assigned it. I might be assigned it. It didn't matter. We did the exact same job. So he was Bob and I was Bob. But I knew, so like when we went to, to, to Fort Bragg, we both went for the, the one for the Special Forces Burst Communication System, which you know as the direct TV dish, okay? So that was way back when there was Special Forces pulling it out in the jungle, okay? So when we went to, to, to do that test okay, and work on that, we both went, and I understood, he understood the sense of duty, that when we went out together, he was... Enlisted, and I was an officer. And so he served me, he saluted me, he called me sir, he called me Captain Corbin, Lieutenant Corbin, whatever it was. I think I'm, I don't remember if I was a captain at that point yet or not. Anyways, the whole point is he understood the, the, the duty side. But elsewhere in Christ, there was a what? There was devotion. Do you get it? There was love that was there. And so even if you don't get it any other way, it all boils down to, this is what you ought to be doing. And if, you're, if you say that you know him and you're not doing it, shame on you. That's just straight. I, I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's handing out tracts. I don't care if it's talking. I don't, but Romans chapter 10 tells me that if you believe in your heart, right, what's going to happen next? You're going to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Do you get it? I don't think that's a prayer. I think that's a lifestyle. If you believe something, what are you going to do? You're going to talk about it. If you don't talk about Jesus, if he's not part of who you are when you're talking to people, if people haven't got a clue, you're not his. It's just how it is. I'm not saying you're perfect at all. But if you're not excited about what he's done for you at all, there's a struggle. Okay? So, experientially, we know the love of Christ. Okay? So that's all the motivating factor. We know... Judgment's coming, but we know even better than that, the love of Christ and what he's done for us. So that affects then our mindset then in the ministry, and that is our mindset toward people. Okay, Because if I know those things, then my mindset toward people are going to change, and I'm going to hopefully have the mind of Christ toward them. So I see that in verse 16. There is the word therefore that's there, but it's not the exact same therefore as there was there before before. For. Anyways, this is the word hosta, and it literally means so that. Okay, this actually shows then a byproduct. Okay, so the other one was therefore was a result thing, but this is kind of a causal thing. Okay, so because of everything else that we just said, this is how it's going to play out. 
Therefore, from now on, or so that from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So, before I used to look at people with the blue mohawk, right? And I used to see the, the piercings, and I see the tats, and I see the clothing styles, and I see the this. What am I looking at? The outward person. Bob still struggles. It's a prayer. Pray for me on it. That's part of that passion. I want to see people the way Christ sees them, the way God sees them. And he doesn't look at them the way Bob's looking. Bob gets so stuck on the, on the, on the physical, fleshly stuff, you know? And so what God sees is what's eternal. Not what's temporal, not what's physical, but what's spiritual and eternal. That's again, remember? So that's building this whole foundation. The old covenant was what? Physical. The old covenant was temporal. So those who were under the old covenant, those who were under the law, only think what? Physically and temporally. But the new covenant is spiritual. The new covenant is eternal. And so when you come under the new covenant, you begin to realize that, look, there is something that's out there beyond this moment. And when I see that individual, I have to, by the grace of God, be able to look at that individual beyond what I see. Again, I'm grateful that when Woody and Della came to our house to visit us on a Tuesday night, when they said they would ask if they could come, we said yes, but we forgot. And we were in our glory at that moment. That they didn't look at us and say, good grief. I'm only part of these guys. I mean, we were both in our short shorts and, you know, whatever. And they didn't say, whoo, I can't, unclean, unclean, (laughs) Uh, stay away. When you guys put some clothes on, let us know, we'll come back. They didn't, didn't do it. I mean, we we thought about it after the fact, you know, you know, months after the fact, after you get saved and you realize, you know, what you were looking like and what you were acting like. And, you know, and so, I mean, I remember the first time we went to somebody's house and we took that bottle of wine, you know, it was a housewarming thing, you know. We weren't saved yet. This is what we did. And they said, oh, thank you so much. But we don't drink. Now, I'm not saying you can't drink. I'm just saying from their perspective, that's what... And so we're like, whoa, like, wow, okay. And so we had a kind of struggle. But we wouldn't have known it the rest of the night. Make sense? There wasn't a, hey, clearly we don't want you at our house anymore. You know, it was just, we appreciate that, but... It's just going to go bad sitting here because we're not going to drink it. So we appreciate that. And then we had what? A great night. The rest of the night, they treated us lovely. In fact, that was one of the reasons how reasons we got saved because I was away in TDY. And that church ministered to my wife in all of her unsaved glory. I don't know how she was probably much better than I was. Anyways, but all of a sudden we got to find out these people saw us not from our flesh. But they looked at us as eternal souls, and they loved us. So no longer do we look at people according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. But rather, um, now we look at people who are in Christ as what? New creations. Therefore, so that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, let's be honest. Do you look around sometimes at those who say that they are in Christ and wonder what happened to the new creation? Uh, 
It must have been really, really bad when God made a new creation, because I'm telling you what I see as a new creation looks pretty bad. But that's us looking at the what? The flesh. Again, we're looking at the physical. We've got to stop looking at the physical. I need to do some actual factual considerations here. Everybody I see, point one, right, the people in general, everybody I see out there is a what? Eternal spirit being, who is made in the image and likeness of God, whether I like it or not. Secondly, then, if they are in Christ, if they profess Christ, they are a what? New creation. Regardless of what I see and think, they are. Again, God is still working in them, right? Isn't Philippians chapter 1? Say, we know that um, he who began the good work in us will perform it to the day of Christ. So if they are a, a, a believer, then what is God doing in their life? He's working in them. And so God's working in each of our lives at a different speed, in a different way, because we're all individuals. We're all made individually differently. And so God is working in each one of us in a different way. But I have to ask myself, do I really believe that? Do I believe that that person is a new creation? It's a struggle for me sometimes. But that leads us then into this last part, which is the, the, the exciting part for us, and that is this message of our ministry, which is reconciliation to God. And note right off the bat, who is the author of this? Verse 18. Now all things are of who? Not Christ, but... God, I, mean, I understand Christ is God, but when it's talking about God, we're talking about the Father, generally speaking, in the Godhead, right? So all things are of God, who has what? Reconciled us to, to himself. God has reconciled us to himself. Now, this is that part of the Trinity thing that blows my brain, okay? So I get the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and, and Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh, and yet he, the God had still existed out there, and, and when Jesus was on the earth, he prayed to the Father, and Anyways, okay, anyways, but what does it say? God, first of all, was reconciling us to himself, how? Through Jesus Christ, okay? So the author of our reconciliation is God, the Father, if you would, God, okay? He began the good work, and so we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is the what? author and finisher of our faith, okay? And so how cool is that? I mean, that's what I'm saying. This whole Godhead thing is just so marvelous to me. It just makes me so incredibly... And so how do I read this? That God was in the world reconciling... Because it states that next, right? Yeah, verse 19. That God was in Christ reconciling the world in himself, to himself. That there's God. Remember, I shared last week. Wasn't it last week I shared about the birds? Yes? Yeah. And um, that God became a bird, if you would. Make sense? To speak to the birds. But God became a man. He was in Christ. That's that icon thing. God, the fullness of God was in Christ bodily so that he could reconcile the world to himself. Now, could God have God's spirit, right? God's beyond the, the universe. Could God have done it some other way? He could have. He could have done it how? 
any way he wanted. Okay? I mean, don't give me a list. Because there's going to be any, I mean, you could go through billions and quadrillions and whatever of ways that he could have done it. He could have done it any way he wanted to. But he decided that he would come and take on flesh so that he could be the ultimate payment, so that he could show us the greatness of his love for us. It it just boggles my brain. Bob probably wouldn't have done it that way. Bob is so stinking selfish. People say, God is so selfish because he wants people to worship him. No, he wants the worship to be not obligatory, but out of devotion. He doesn't, that's where the whole thing is, that this, this thing about um, the predestination and stuff like that. We're not a bunch of automatons worshiping him. Look what it says here. Look what it says. I was going to bring this up earlier, but I kind of pulled back and said I'm going to wait for it right here. And then it comes down, and it says, Now all things are God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling what? The world. You know, if you, if you believe in limited atonement, this whole stuff about the, the five points of Calvinism, and I, I was with people this week that some of them are, and I just boggle my brain. I want to hit my head against the wall. You've got to do so many gymnastics every time you come. For God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say that. What does it say? God so loved the world. Oh, but he didn't mean that. What he really meant was elect. In 1 John chapter 2, where it says that, that he's not only the propitiation for our sins, but he's also for the sins of the whole world. No, it really doesn't mean that. It really means the elect. How many verses? I mean, I believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. I don't know about you. If God says he loves the world, right? And look what it does. He has paid the, the, the sins for, the, for everyone, right? So the author of reconciliation is God. The agent of the reconciliation is God himself in Christ, right? So God was in Christ, so that's it's still God, and so I don't. It is Christ, but I, I you know, he's the agent. But I recognize the fact that actually in Christ was the Godhead, and so it's the whole Godhead thing that's doing this thing. I don't want to. Sometimes it's so easy for us in the triunity of God to divide the, divide the Godhead out and say the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and so we split it all out. So the Father's still up here, the Son is here doing this kind of work. But it was still God. The fullness of the Godhead was where. In Jesus doing this, I hope this is bursting your brain cells. Anyways, because it burst mine. Anyways, and so if you if, it, if you got it down pat, if you understand the triunity of God, please talk to me and help me out. Okay, I'm a brother in need. Anyways, and so that it is so marvelous to me that even though God is out there, He is fully in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. Look what it says: not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Who is he talking about? He is, and he doesn't impute their trespasses against them, to them. Who? The world. the world. Wait, 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 wait. What? See, this is where people struggle. This is where this limited atonement thing comes into play because they can't comprehend this. I don't. I'm okay with the mystery. I'm really okay with the mystery. I'm really okay with God being beyond what I'm. I'm able to comprehend. Make sense? 1 John chapter 2 is very clear that we have an advocate with the Father, so, that, right? And he is not, not only is he the propitiation for our sins, the payment of our sins, but he's also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, do you get this? Don't minimize what he did. He absorbed 
everybody's sin. He became, we're going to talk about this in a moment, what he did. He became everybody's sin. My, my sin by itself is decadent enough. To, I mean, to have it be visualized on a perfect God on a cross. I mean, that's just horrid what I did to him. What he did for me was lovely. But now compound my sin by everybody in this whole world's sin, the rejection that he's getting from people all over the world, and he became that rejection. He became that, that, that sordid sexuality stuff. He became that gossip. He became all those things. He became those things. Not imputing. Not imputing the trespasses of the world. All they have to do is do what? Believe. It's that simple. That's why Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. All you got to do is believe. But we get old and we say, oh, well, you know, we put God in a box in whatever theological realm you want to put this thing. I don't want to put God in any box. God can do whatever he chooses to do whenever he chooses to do it. Because he's God. And he doesn't give an account to Bob. He's not like going to report back to Bob and say, well, Bob, is it okay if I, if I kind of do a little bit outside of what your theology says I can do? Well, I don't know, God. They would kind of throw me for a loop. Well, okay, let's do it this way. Bob, prepare yourself a little bit. I'm going to throw your theology out the window for a moment. So get a load of this. Boom! Whoa, God. No, no, Bob, look at this passage over here. Oh, I missed that one, didn't I? Yep, you did. God said that Christ would be the propitiation, the payment for the sins of the whole world. Do you believe it or not? So that individual with that blue mohawk and those piercings and those tats all over them, do you know what? Jesus already died for their sins. They're already paid for. They are already paid for. The sad thing is he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just needs to have an ambassador. Come and tell him the good news. Not the bad news of works of the, of the law, but the good news. You have been forgiven. All you need is easy believism. Yes. But I'm temper that with the fact that someone who does believe will want to what? Will want to, to, to serve him. And be changed by him. Because God is going to do the changing in him. It's God's desire. It's his plan. It's his purpose. That to, for us to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so that's his work. And if somebody really believes. If somebody really gives their heart to Jesus. Jesus is going to change them. The power of our calling. This is exciting. God is the one who's pleading through us. Do you get it? It's nothing about me. God's pleading through me. The power of our message. And he made him who knew no sin to be my sin in order that I might become, that's a, a, a processional thing, a process, that I might become his righteousness. How cool is that? That's a pretty sad trade, huh? This week, in our Madden thing, 
I had a good night, man. I, I, I played my game, and then the kids were going to bed, and so I thought I had a guy I was going to get rid of. He was in his 60s. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but the top is a hunter, right? Now I got a wide receiver who's in his 60s. And so I, I, I want to dump him. But instead of dumping him, I thought, oh, I'll just see if some, some silly other team will give me something for him, right? And so, you know, so it's Andrew, Anna, Tim, and I are playing. And so there's then 28 other teams, right? And so I just went out there to see if I could get a team to give me something for this guy, you know? And so I won't tell you what team it was. It wasn't, you know, but it, they, they looked like they might give me something. So I thought, well, I'll just keep checking around and see what I'm going to get. And then I went to this team, and I started out with just a third-round pick. I said, oh, I'll just do a third-round pick. They took it. Boom, right away. Whoa, whoa. So I went out, and I, I got out of the game, and I went back in. You know, under you know, because I didn't want to save it, you know. And so I thought, man, they gave me a third round pick that fast. I mean, they might give me something else. So I thought, well, I'm just going to put down a one, two, and a three, and just see what they do with that. And that way, at least I'll know where I'm at, you know, because they'll, they'll reject it. But at least I'll know how interesting they took it. They gave me a one, a number one, a number two, and a number three for this sixty something. I couldn't believe it. So I went out and I signed a free agent that was uh, only in the seventies or whatever. I thought, well, wide receivers must be the hot thing. And I went out. I got another team. They gave me a one, a two, and three. Anyways, I'll make this long story short. I was, I mean, think about it. What a deal. I mean, I'm giving them junk, and they're giving me their best. I mean, I made one trade. I got two number ones and a number two. And then I realized that I was trading with all my kids. And (laughs) 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 the next morning, I I realized that. I didn't realize that that night. I realized in the middle of the night. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I realized, oops. There is no way they would have made those trades. So the next morning, after my quiet time, the first thing I did before they played the game was I had to get onto the game, and I had to undo the mess up that I did, okay? I confessed it to them. They knew it. I could have, I could have went out in the middle of the night and undid my mess so nobody would even know. But I confessed the next morning, and I told them my blunder. But it highlights. Think about it. Think about it. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took my 50s and gave me three number ones. Do you get it? No questions asked. In fact, I didn't even have to initiate the trade. He came down and said, Bob, can I have your worst? And I'll give you my best. <laughs> just, no matter what illustration I use, it's going to pale to what Jesus did for us. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation with a new focus and a new calling. How does your life compare to that statement? Is it a new creation? Do you have a new focus? Do you have a new calling? Are you excited about being an ambassador? Are you focusing more on the physical or on the eternal? What is the fruit of your ambassadorship? Now, look, I'm not saying you've got to have um, 10,000 people saved. That's not at all. But is there anybody that you're impacting? Anybody that you're even talking to about it? You are the ambassador of Christ. You are his representative in the world. Is there therefore then a need to change the way you think? And then that will lead to changing the way you act. I want to close with this song um, by Chris Anderson, His Robes for Mine. Um, There's a lot of big words in this song. So it's in your insert. And um, I wanted you to look at it before we sing it. I'll pray before we sing too, okay? Um, but look what it says. I mean, this is, Chris really handles, hammers this thing down. His robes for mine, oh, wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered 
beneath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand, with righteous works, not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious, in my place, death and life. His robes for mine, God's justice is appeased. Jesus is crushed, and thus the Father's pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, "'Tis done. Sin's wage is paid. Propitiation won. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He as though I accursed and left alone. I as though he embraced and welcomed home. We're going to sing that in a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you made him who knew no sin to be sin. My sin, our sin, that we might become your righteousness. That we might be able to have this privilege of of, of being ambassadors, your ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. Lord, to know that it's because of your great love for us. God, I pray that you compel us, press us, those who are called by your name, truly, Lord, that you will impact us to go out and to proclaim your truth with those that we meet. Lord, that we would not be complacent in this world. Forgive us for that. This world is nothing. It's passing. It's temporal. But everything about you is eternal. Help us to see that. Help us to live it out. That you might receive the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.